Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, our first day of the week here in this place, together with one another, and of course, in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you. We ask that our time together this morning be of use to your kingdom that it would reverberate over the ages as you so fit or so see fit to use us. We know on our best day we're unprofitable servants. But because of what you did for us on the cross and your Holy Spirit's guidance, the strength and promise of your word, and Lord, the collective gifts you've given us used together as a church you've seen fit to use this place we ask that you do that again today that you would bless us in ways perhaps that we haven't expected but just as we need it not for our glory but for yours and we ask all this in your precious name amen well it's good to see you all and that's always the case Um, Thank you for your faithfulness, and welcome to each of you, no matter where you are. We've got folks all over the place these days, in this room, other rooms, at home, but that's the situation we live in, and it seems to be getting better each day. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 21, that's the last chapter, and next week we'll conclude... An almost three-year study of the book of John. And I, I don't know about you all, but I consider that uh, somewhat of an accomplishment. That I had that in mind when considering whether or not uh, to take this position, and then if so, what to do with it. And I think we spent some time in Titus to start with, but John is the way I had thought it'd be best to get to know one another as we get to know our Lord. We'll go to the book of Acts when we're done, but not until after the holidays. We've used the summers um, to take a break and go to the Old Testament. At least that's the way it's been since we've been here. I've been here. Uh, We did, let's see, Judges the first summer. We did Jonah last summer. We're going to do Esther this summer. And uh, if you like getting those scripture journals... um, where you can take notes and you've got the text from the ESV version right there, go ahead and order them. Um, I've, I've got my stack of books um, that I've been working on. I'll take those to the beach with me. Um, we'll be going on vacation here in a couple of weeks. But uh, that's then. For now, this morning, uh, our portion is from John chapter 21. And I think it might be better to back up and read a little bit to give us a head start into the new material for this morning, which is actually 15 through 19. But let's start in verse 9. John 21, 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. 
And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this saying, he said to him, follow me. This is the Lord's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sunday. Our Bibles open in our laps. Lord, we want to hear from you. I ask that you would do that through me, but that it would be you. Lord, may we understand this first. And Lord, after we've understood it, may we obey it. May it change us. Lord, we thank you for what you said to Peter. And now we're listening for what you say to us. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, this is not as complicated of a narrative as we've seen in the book so far. Really, uh, the focus goes from a group who've witnessed a miracle, a big catch of fish, and then a breakfast that was prepared for them. They sat down. They were served by Jesus. And now, it seems, the whole focus goes toward two individuals. One particularly now. This last paragraph through the end has to do with John. But from this point, moving past verse 14, where everyone's sitting there at breakfast, the focus really does concern just two men and Jesus. That would be Peter and John. Uh, we'll look at John's part next week. But I think it would benefit all of us if we just kind of understood something before we get too far into this message. And that is having to do with this distinctly individual passage, knowing that personality, which is what it means to be an individual, that's what makes you, you, uh, as Americans and products of our own culture, we really make a big deal out of individuality. But that's not really the case in Scripture. It, it is, but it isn't. And the way it isn't is that personality is never considered of its real value except in relationship with someone else. 
particularly with Jesus here, but, but also with each other. And this is really going to pop off the page in full color when we get to the book of Acts. And you get to see the difference between these two men, Peter and John, who couldn't be any more different as far as a personality goes. Peter's this uh, busy, wide open, never have to worry what he's thinking type of guy. And then you've got John, who won't even mention his own name when he writes a book. And usually he's in the back. He's thinking about what Peter's actually doing. Um, They're totally different. And you might have heard that opposites attract. Maybe that's why they're friends. I don't know. Um, Usually opposites in the workplace repel. I don't know if you've found that to be true. And uh, usually opposites attract while you're dating and then they repel when you're married. (laughs) Right? And sometimes you'll you'll need help later for managing those differences. But really, scripturally speaking, and we're talking about the church to whom gifts were given according to personality. You don't have a whole representation of Christ's body if you don't have all the parts. And opposites probably best illustrate the differences between strengths and weaknesses and where we each need help and can do better. So these men show more of Christ together than apart from one another. And they will make a a fabulous team in the book of Acts. Same is going on here, but I thought it worth our while to say personality is of real value when viewed through the idea of relationship. Now, this passage is often referred to as Peter's reinstatement. You may have heard it said as such. And it seems certain to put back what went wrong the night of Jesus' arrest. It doesn't take a rocket science to see that if he's been uh, asked three times, I love you, it has to do with the three times that Peter denied Jesus. Now, the words here, when they had finished breakfast, establishes a connection with the whole group. I think it's the tendency, and I just made the assumption before doing some detailed study, that when the focus goes to this man and Jesus, really the whole group of men fade into the background. They're not there anymore. I don't think there's any warrant for dismissing them from the text here. In fact, the words, when they had finished breakfast, and then there's a few clues later, I think they're there. I think this is public. This reinstatement is in front of the whole group. Well, at least the other six. There were seven of them that went fishing. The, the whole twelve is not there. One of them's dead, and the other, and he hasn't been replaced. But if we take into account that Peter had a private appearance of Jesus sometime before this, and we have no clue as to what was said, I think we'd almost like to understand that whatever went wrong the night of his betrayal was addressed then, privately. But now, since that took place publicly, it's addressed publicly before the book of Acts and anyone needs to get rid of any of the problems as to whether or not Peter had ruined himself. 
this seems to fix that problem and to do so very well. Just as Peter had denied his Lord in public, now his restoration is public. And if you recall, those denials happened while standing near a fire. And it looks like his restoration is going to take place standing or sitting near a fire. And this is even better for those of you that like little tiny factoids. Both of them were charcoal fires. John uses the word charcoal. No one else does. He uses them two times. And both of them have to refer to these two fires. So this is where it takes place. And first, as if to set the tone to gather everyone's attention, Jesus calls Peter by his name Simon. Remember, we talked about this last week. The first time he met Simon... He said, I'm going to call you Peter. Well, now he's calling him Simon. So what's up? Well, that's just to gather everybody's attention and maybe put this in light of hitting the reset button. We're back where we started again, so let's build this back from scratch. The question, do you love me, is qualified with the words more than these. If you you look at it, and it repeats itself, it, it almost... When you read it, it sounds strange because it repeats itself three times. But that part is actually only in the first phrase. More than these. That's dropped in the two that follow. But before we get to those, we need to figure out what that is. If, if, if okay, we've got the scene, fire, breakfast. They've already had the breakfast. It's probably still burning. They're all sitting there. Maybe they've... I don't know, but they're there, likely. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? We need to figure out what these is. We've got options. Just try to think in your head. All right, what could these refer to? Well, first of all, it could refer to the boat and the nets and the tackle. Um... He was a fisherman. It could be inanimate objects he's pointing at. It could be these men that are there. Do you love me more than you love these other men? Or it could be, do you love me more than these men love me? There could be more, but those are basically the three that you see in the commentaries if you're going to be reading and trying to figure it out. So, which one makes the best sense? Because, really, it's hard to nail this down. John doesn't tell us precisely which of the three it could be. Well, the one about the fishing stuff. um, There's all different types of ideas that make this one a bad one. Um, There were seven people fishing. Why talk to Peter? Because the other guys may like that stuff as much as he does. Then there's the little idea that when Jesus is identified, Peter jumps out of that boat. Um, I don't know if any of you have boats. I don't know if any of you fell off them. But probably you don't do that on purpose. They had other guys in the boat that could make sure it got to shore. Uh, I've known folks that fell out of their boat when they were by themselves. I've only rolled mine in the waves. And you can just stand up after that happens. But it wasn't on purpose. It seems to me that Jesus is more important than those things. That seems to be demonstrated by his actions. Then you've got the idea, okay, do you love me more than these guys love me? Or do you love me more than you love these guys? 
Do you love me more than these other fellows? There's really no support for that idea in any of the themes of the book. Um, in fact, they're fussing with each other quite a bit. Uh, at some point, they're asking who gets to be in charge of the rest of them, sitting at, who's, at which of your side in the kingdom. So I think, even though it does sound strange for Jesus to invite one of his followers to compare the strength of his love to the strength of the love of the other men that are sitting there looking at him, I think it's that one, only because Peter had done precisely that very thing in front of them before. Um, You'd have to go to Matthew. It's also in Mark, but Matthew 26, Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he basically said, If all of them do that, I won't do that. I love you more than they do. So it's kind of like, Jesus is bringing that back to their minds as if to add weight to the inconsistency of his testimony up to that point. So, it could be that Peter, if he still thinks that his love still exceeds that of the others, um, which is another clue that those men are probably there. It's hard to point to other men who aren't in the picture. So that's an idea that this is, this is surely public. So back to the question, do you love me? And if that's the case, you could color it up with this. Without comparing yourself with anyone else, do you really love me? His answer is in the affirmative. But then he goes on to say, you know that I love you. This is Peter's response. You know that I love you. And the next question we should ask is, why do you suppose he put it that way? And really the answer to that is because it's the only way he can put it. He doesn't really have a long list of proofs to show Jesus how much he loves him. In fact, his behavior pretty much condemns him in that area. He'll need something other than his his track record in order to build a case if he's even got one. His own actions wouldn't have backed him up, so he's in no position to point to them. The words more than these from the previous statement would seem to mock him more than justify him, seemingly in the minds of those who are sitting there listening. So what does he do? He does what he can do. He can and does appeal to Christ's own understanding of his heart, given the situation. You ever been in that spot? Now probably be dangerous to start giving you pictures of okay is this between a husband and a wife or a brother and a sister or a friend but there's times when you get in a mess right and certain qualities of your relationship are called into question how many of you have ever just said but you know I love you because at the moment that's about all you have (laughs) You can't say, I know what I did yesterday, and I know what I didn't do the other day before that, but I didn't really mean it. That didn't work. Or it seemed the right thing to do at the time. That doesn't work. Well, they did it first. 
All that's useless, right? Sometimes a long track record over, over years is really the only thing you've got. In this case, it's more powerful than any of that because it's Christ's knowledge who can see the heart. And if anybody could see the heart and credit that response, it would be Jesus. So that's what he does. Now, many commentators at this point see specific meaning in the use of the two different words translated into love in the copy of Scripture that you've got in your lap. Now, what we've got are English translations. You're going to see love three times. If you had a Greek New Testament, you would see agape twice from Jesus and phileo once. From Peter, you'd see phileo three times. Agape is a Greek word for a higher type of love, and in the context of the New Testament, it carries with it the, the pure love of God that only believers can share with one another. It's God's love. We don't have that as standard equipment. Then you've got phileo, which is uh, best defined by uh, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's, it's brotherly love. That's what phileo is. There's another one that has to do with a physical type of love. But the only two we see here is agape and phileo. Now, the idea or the argument is that Jesus is starting with agape. Peter responds with a phileo. So it's like Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him on a higher level. And Peter is responding on a lower level. That'd be the argument that some want to see. But most scholars, over time, have become convinced that the difference between these terms bear no significance to the actual discussion between Jesus and Peter. Now, if you've ever sat through a sermon where those were shown, or you're in Bible school and you're learning the difference between words, you might think, well, good grief, that's good stuff. That might, that might preach, <laughs> right? Well, let me give it full credit, and then I'll leave that for you to decide. But most of the conviction of the fact that it doesn't make that big a difference is the simple facts that John uses these two terms interchangeably through the whole book. If it does make sense, it only makes sense right here and now, and it'd be the first time that he's acted as if one is any different. I'll give you some examples. These are all from the book of John. The disciple whom Jesus loved, he's talking about himself there. And the word loved is used at least twice. In chapter 13, he uses phileo, but in chapter 20, he uses agape. Oh, switch that. Agape in 13, 20, previous chapter, it was phileo. So, so John is using both these words to describe what he has felt and known and understood as to the love of Jesus. Um, both are used in telling of the Father's love for the Son. Because John tells us, this is from Jesus' teaching, that the Father loves the Son, but in chapter 3, it's phileo, or excuse me, agape, in chapter 5, it's phileo. This is used of, of, of God. It should be agape if that's the case. And even uh, how Jesus loved Lazarus, we saw that twice. This is in the same chapter, chapter 11, verse 5, it's phileo. Verse 36, it's agape. So they're used interchangeably as if it doesn't make that big a difference. Now, 
Some have said that this conversation would have taken place in Aramaic. It would have been written in Greek later, so people could read it widely. And in Aramaic, it's more like English. They've got one word where the Greeks have three. But I don't think any of us want to say that John, under inspiration, uh, was just trying to be cute. He's writing what fits the memory of the situation he was an eyewitness to. And we can be confident that what he says here reflects what happened then. Um, And then there's the idea of, you know, equivalent of words and the way we say things. If if you were to say, uh, are you behind me in this? And then, let's say, at the next uh, staff meeting at work, you hear the same guy say, okay, are all you on board with this? And then, uh, let's say in another one, okay, are we we all together on this? How many of you would say that those meant something different each time? That's basically the same thing. And that's basically, I believe, what Jesus is doing here. And if the distinction did matter... Let's just say that those words did. Um, It's obvious that Peter didn't get it. And he's the one to whom Jesus is teaching. And and Peter had missed a lot that Jesus had said before. But at this point, you would think that it would be important for Peter to get what Jesus is saying. And these are in elementary terms. But the key to knowing that Peter didn't get it, if that's what it was is that John tells us that he's sorrowful because he was asked the question three times and then says, I love you. Peter's upset because he said the same thing three times. I know we're getting really technical here, but it wouldn't have the flow, would it, if John said, Peter's upset because Jesus asked him one way one time and two times another way. Add them all up, it's three times, and that's why he's upset that he said it two ways. You see how that just gets weird? Some of you don't. You're looking at me like, why are you wasting time on this stuff? So if that's not the point, and here's the reason why I go into all that. If if that's not the point of what's going on, if that's not the good stuff out of the passage to make sermons with, so we know what this says, and so we'll know what to do, then what is the important part? I think the important part is what he says after. What he's supposed to do to show his love. If you love me, he's going to ask him to step up in a certain way. That's the actionable content of the passage. What does he have for him to do? Well, to summarize it, and we'll look at what he says, it's in his pastoral care of the Lord's flock. And these also have different words. But the picture is clear. It's, it's unmistakable. It's the picture of a shepherd. And the example, of course, is the one who's speaking as the good, exa- uh, the good shepherd. And just as Jesus had been disowned three times, so Jesus requires this elementary but profound confession three times. And in case there's any doubt as to whether or not Peter is fully restored, Jesus gives him his credentials three times so it's in effect he's calling him back to work hasn't skipped a beat now look at how the ministry is described 
This is good for note-taking. It's described in verbs, not nouns. Could be described in nouns, but this is described in verbs. Tend and feed. Not be a good pastor or hold your title well and don't, don't make any of us ashamed of you anymore, you know. He just says tend and feed. And then it's interesting also, we should never forget it. Again, good for making notes. The sheep are not Peter's, they're Christ's. My sheep. Don't go, go make a name for yourself and gather a church around your personality. That's not it at all. So again, we have some variation here. Um, if you go through the order, you've got my lambs for the first, my sheep for the second, and my sheep for the third. And feed in the first, tend in the second, and feed in the third. So lamb, sheep, sheep, feed, tend, feed. I think you could have a case of saying the first and the third imply taking the sheep to pasture. That's feed. That's how you do it. But the second has to imply total guardianship. Tending. Tending has a lot of stuff lumped into it, right? Um, if we leave the house, me and Corey, and we leave Olivia, she's the oldest in charge, and say, feed the boys. Obvious enough. If we say, now look after the boys. Totally different, right? One requires just throw some slop together and you're done. The other is, you're on the hook for whatever happens and of course we give her total diplomatic immunity and all the authority <laughs> from mom and dad to make sure that that it all goes well but I think lambs sheep feed tend add it all together you've got total care of the whole flock lambs could be little sheep could be older but that's that's the picture he's telling Peter that his work was to shepherd his sheep. And I think this is where the tone might, may shift. You know, the, the tone has been tough. He's bringing back painful memories in public in order to patch things up such that he's qualified for fellowship and for leadership. But there's some things in his future that are going to be mentioned here in verse 18 that are going to be tough to hear. Well, shepherd my sheep is tough to hear. Um, it's not all about green pastures and still waters. Sometimes the wolves come. Sometimes those wolves sink their teeth into the flesh of the shepherd while he's protecting those sheep. Um, but that's just it. Jesus is asking Peter if he's devoted to him. Because that's going to be required. This, this shepherding thing's not going to work without his devotion. Now, one thing to keep in mind as we go forward, I, th I think is helpful. By the time John writes this, Peter would have been dead about 20 years. John writes this late. So the readers that are reading this are thinking 20 years after Peter from the book of Acts is gone. And it might sew up some things having to do with some confusion that had become rumor along the way. 
But there can be little doubt that the whole scene, and it's fixing to shift, and the next week they're going to walk off from that breakfast. There can be little doubt that the whole scene is meant to show up or to show us that Peter had been completely restored to his position, denied three times, affirmed his love three times, commissioned three times. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Parentheses. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Every time up until this point, the book of John, when Jesus gives the double truth, truly, truly, verily, verily, it's always meant to listen up. What is about to be said is not only true, but it's significant. It's doubly true. And this introduces um, this information. Look at the way Jesus does it. He refers to Peter's past in order to contrast that with his future. When you were young, you used to dress yourself. So those two things are singled out. He was dressing himself and is going wherever he wants to go. And the truth is, in his youth, he'd done both of these things. In his old age, he will do neither. And in this case, it will not only be occasioned by the infirmities of old age, but submission to powers that will take him where he doesn't want to go, which involves his death by execution. Now, the, the commentators, again, have, have their ideas about this. Some would, would say that the idea of his execution only was understood in hindsight, but basically it's just a proverbial way of saying, hey, when you're young, you do what you want. When you're older, you do what you're told. I don't, I don't think that, especially if there's something meant to the stretching out of one's arms, which might have been a cultural euphemism to crucifixion itself. But even so, th- th- this is something that, that takes one's mind and, and uh, just pulls it all over the timeline of one's life. Uh, and, and really, this is kind of somewhere in the middle where, where young folks would not understand this and older folks might understand it all too well. Th- that there is a time where, where you call the shots. You get to a certain point, you leave the house, you go where you want to go, you wear what you want to wear. And for a time, everything's great. Then, one by one, certain things start to not work like they're supposed to. And at certain stages in life, you're either in the middle of this or you're just being clued into the fact that that's the way it works. Say with your parents. Um, and the idea of, of what, it, what it does in the mind to someone who has to face the reality that, hey, I can't do for myself what I want to do. And... and 
You know, that will either endear you to your Lord or perhaps push you away. The idea that uh, everywhere I go, I'd rather not go. I have to go where I'm supposed to go. And it just it, it becomes a, a, a bitter existence. In this case, and as we read through the book of Acts, I think this is actually Peter's motivation. I'm headed to an awful place. I'm going to make the best out of every last moment of this. And then you see him beaten and singing in prison and putting his finger in people's face, having people put their finger in his face. But I mention all that just not, not to leave any of the drama of life that John has put in this book on the table. This is no small thing. So... If the understanding of stretching out one's hands was intended as a cultural euphemism for crucifixion, we have a prophecy of Peter's exact means of death. But unless we can be sure of this, and we can't, we cannot say this verse points to any more than Peter's martyrdom in some form, which I believe it does. Jesus is showing Peter that if he has to fulfill his promise of loyalty... He'll have to follow him to his own cross. In other words, for Peter, not for the rest of us, maybe. He's saying, Peter, if you're with me, if you love me, this goes the same direction it went for me. And what is not said here is that if it involves death, it also involves resurrection. That would never be the end. Now, what's remarkable is that Peter lived and served three decades with this hanging over his head. This is about 50 years from the event. The writing of it is about 50 years, 30 of his service and 20 after his death. By the time John had written the fourth gospel, this had been fulfilled. Peter had glorified God by his martyrdom, probably in Rome and probably under Emperor Nero. Now, as far as what this text is saying, and then we'll ask ourselves, what's it saying to us? Um, that's always a good way to go through this. First stage is what? And the second stage is so what? The last stage is now what? Well, here's the what. It's indisputable that the awful shame Peter carried for his public denial of the Lord Jesus on the night he was sentenced to death was forgiven by the Lord himself and eventually overwhelmed by the apostles' faithfulness in ministry and in death. Now, the following passage picks up where this concludes, but the concluding words here to Peter, the last two words of this paragraph, look at them. Follow me. Here's where we're going to get to the so what. Now, there's a little conjecture here because when you get to verse 20, look at verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Now, if somebody's following, you have to be moving, right? It's not in a car. They're walking, likely down the beach. So at some point they got up and started moving. So, the follow me, 
likely means an invitation for Peter to take a private walk along the beach with Jesus. But if we like to connect the dots with the story in dramatic fashion as John does, is this the only time Peter's ever heard the words, follow me? When did he hear those the first time? The beginning. So you could say that these two words, follow me, mean a lot more in connection with the first follow me. And they tie those steps of discipleship, the first one, to this one, and I think to the last one. And any of you that have been Christians any time at all know we need more than one follow me, don't we? And usually somewhere between the follow me's we need some restoration. Because for some reason we think after a failure the follow me is no good anymore. We need a new one if we get one at all. And in this case I think that's exactly what happens. So if that's the so what, here's the now what. Is Jesus asking you the same question? Do you love me? And think about that question. It cuts through all the noise, doesn't it? I mean, all the questions he could ask you, the questions you would think you'd probably see on your exam if you're called into the office, right? Um, Are you acting like a Christian? Are you reading your Bible? Are you being kind to one another? Are you faithful in ministry? Are you faithful to show up? I love you gets them all. All of it's packed. If you love him, you'll do all that stuff. Right? I mean, that, that, that's about as massive of a dose of, of X-ray radiation as you're ever going to get. You know, they count those things up. You can only have so many CTs, so many chest X-rays, so much radiation. Can't take much more. This guy can see through everything. And with a simple, I love you, do you love me? It cuts through it all. And if the answer is yes, is it, don't do that ever again. Um, You love me? Okay, I want to see ten people down the aisle by the end of the month. You love me? I want to see that check, that absurd number in your head that you thought, I wasn't joking. I'm joking in what I'm saying here. I hope you know that. That's not what he says. He just says, go to work. Take care of each other. In the case of a pastor, feed the sheep. Feed them what they need. Don't feed the goats. Feed the sheep. Don't feed the sheep goat food. Study hard. Give them something on a Sunday to think about and to be obedient to. Open up the Word. Let it loose. Feed them. Tend them. Look after them. Keep up with them. Listen to what hurts. See if you can help. All that stuff's just for Peter and other people who 
call themselves pastors, but none of the rest of us are off a hook. You know what God gave you to do. If you're a mom and a dad, that's massive. If you're an employee or an employer, there's a lot there too. If you're an American citizen, there's stuff in that. But you've got to do it. What he says is just get back to work doing what you know I want you to do. It's unlike anything that we would think. And it sure shows us the heart of our Lord. And it doesn't matter if you're 5 or 95. Do you love me? Works. Right? The Peter messed up. He'd been restored. And where we see him through the book of Acts is a profitable servant. A useful servant to the kingdom. That's the point of this message. So what's the point of our lives? That's for us to answer. Do you love me? Well, it's not 2020 anymore. It's 2021. It's not yesterday anymore. It's today. And I think the questions ask every day of our lives, do you love me? And the answer to the question is usually, Lord, you, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then there should be the reminder through his word, through each other. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Peter, you're not over. You're not done. And he stands for history as the worst case. Anyone who's ever thought they've ruined what they had at a church. Here's here's your sermon. Get busy. It's forgiven. How? On the cross. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing another song. And this one is... How deep the Father's love for us. That's the problem I think we have. Our problem with love is that it's our definition. And when we understand His definition, in that it is bottomless, the only thing we can do is say how deep the bottom doesn't exist. We sing through this, think of what He thinks of you. And that will help us with what we should think of Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for another Sunday, another installment in Your Word. We thank You for Peter. We thank You for being able to look in on the public reinstatement. Lord, we have no idea what You told that man when the two of you saw each other the first time after the resurrection. And I suppose the truth is, it's none of our business. But Lord, I ask for myself and for the rest of us. Lord, would you mind our business? Would you do for him what you did Will you do for us what you did for him? And Lord, may it change us like it changed him. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen.